Welcome to the 5X Growth Podcast, where your host, Carl, brings you the best insights and takeaways from the books I read on startups, entrepreneurship, marketing, and sales. Get ready to level up and accelerate your personal and professional growth with every episode. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? So today we're going to continue our book, The Minimalist Entrepreneur, and we're moving on to chapter two. It's called Start with Community. Let's begin. Community is a fundamental societal unit. Communities are a place where we can connect, learn, and have fun. For minimalist entrepreneurs, communities are the starting point of any successful enterprise. That doesn't mean you should run out and find a community to join just for the purpose of starting a business. It means that most businesses fail because they aren't built with a particular group of people in mind. Often, the ones that succeed do so because they're focused on a community that a founder knows well. That process can be rushed because it comes from ascending relationships and a willingness to serve, both of which take time to uncover and develop. I saw that the best communities are made up of individuals who might be otherwise dissimilar, but who have shared interests, values, and abilities. A community can override people's dislike of one another. I was reminded of something important. You don't have to bring your whole self to every community you join, but you do have to bring a slice of yourself. And that part needs to be authentic to its core. It's a combination of time and vulnerability that leads to relationships and growth. Uh, Now let's uh, learn a cool phrase. It's called passion economy. And basically a word in which people are able to do what they love for a living and to have a more fulfilling and purposeful life. Starting a business around something you love has never been more attainable. You probably have something you enjoy, something that on its face has nothing to do with your real job. Maybe it's marathon running or ceramics or electronic music or another passion that you pursue in your free time. Whatever it is, building a minimalist business around the people you love to spend time with and the ways you love to spend your time depends on being part of a community. You may already be thinking about how to solve the problems of a current community you participate in. Or you may simply be planning to join a community based on something you love. Either way, finding your people is really important at the beginning. Not just for the sake of your business, but also for the sake of your own well-being. My community wasn't just the people in front of me. It was also a wider group who wanted, like me, to turn their passions into livelihoods. The real communities I was part of didn't care about growth at all costs. That kind of accelerated expansion would have cracked them into a million little pieces. pieces. Instead, the priority, like mine, was connecting to each other in ways that allowed for the space, time, and freedom to explore their interests and to eventually transform their passions into businesses in meaningful ways. Find your people. Many people struggle to consciously place themselves within communities. 
even though everyone is already a part of several. If you're reading this and wondering which communities you're already a part of, ask yourself these questions. If I talk, who listens? Where and with whom do I already spend my time, online and offline? In what situations am I most authentically myself? Who do I hang out with, even though I don't really like them? But it's worth it since we share something more important in common. Spend an hour at least. Let yourself think you've run out of ideas at least a few times. In the list you end up creating, you'll find the people you are meant to serve. You may be tempted to skip this exercise if you've already started a business, but I believe that doing this regularly is a good opportunity to remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing, and most important, who you're doing it for. From From here you can turn your list of communities into a list of locations, geographic and online in which to spend even more time learning and contributing. For example, for every group with a shared interest, there is a Facebook group, a Reddit community, a Twitter or Instagram hashtag, or some other form of gathering and sharing ideas on the web. There are often several. Join them all. Also, there are communities run by the businesses that service that community, forums, groups, and more. Join those too. And besides, there are also notable teachers with online classes that also function function as communities. They They may be also worth joining, though be mindful of the cost. And the last one, of course, there are in-person community. There are meetups, workshops, workshops, classes, speaker series, networking events, and more. It's important to note that your goal here is to join communities, not networks. In a network such as Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, newcomers start at zero. No one says hi when they walk in the door, and if you have something to say, there is no guarantee that anyone will hear or help. Networks, in person or online, aren't bad. Sometimes they can lead to genuine and meaningful connections, especially over time as you gain friends and followers and the algorithms start to recommend your work and your content to people who don't already know you. But where did those friends and followers come from in the first place? The communities you are in. Eventually, you will be part of of various networks as the face of your business. But at the beginning, beware of believing that communities and networks are interchangeable, no matter how appealing the potential virality may seem. Instead, Build deep relationships first. Next, you need to think about that you need to contribute, create, and teach. So being a member of a community is a start. But the real magic happens when you start to contribute. Authors and bloggers Ben McConnell and Jackie Huba call this the 1% rule. On the internet, they say, 1% create, 9% contribute, and 90% consume. They've shown this rule to be true when applied to sites like Wikipedia and Yahoo, and it's also widely applicable to other collaborative websites. For example, most people do not post, comment, or even upvote on Reddit like Saul Orwell and Curtis Frank did. Instead, they browse anonymously, which is known as lurking. 
To cite one example, even when the R Ask Reddit subreddit was getting 1.5 million unique visitors a day, it was only getting 2,674 submissions and 110,000 comments in the same period. If you contribute, you will have the 10 times the pre presence of someone who doesn't, and it will continue to grow from there. Contributing means commenting, editing, and generally being part of the broader conversation. What's more, if you go further and create by showing what you're working on, teaching what you're learning, and bringing new material to your community, that influence will grow ninefold. Of course, I am simplifying, but hopefully the point stands. While it's better to lurk rather than needlessly comment, it's even better to add value into the community even if you don't feel that you're, or that you're ready. If you struggle with this, as many do, remind yourself that if you, if you have something to add, it's selfish to keep it to yourself. Once you begin contributing, folks will start recognizing your name. Eventually, some may seek your, your words of wisdom by mentioning you directly or by following you so they get notified every time you post. Once you're regularly cultivating relationships by contributing to the conversation, the time will come when you're ready to go further and educate others. But what will you say and how will you engage the people you've come to know and respect in your community? It's all about creating value and can all be summed up by three signs. Nathan Berry, the founder of ConvertKit, which provides email marketing for creators, has hanging in his office. They read, work in public and then teach everything you know, and then create every day. So yeah, those are the important points. You need to work in public, teach everything you know, and create every day. If, if you're always learning, you'll always have something to teach others about their own next best steps. They were both doing the work, but Chris was sharing it while Nathan was not. I realized I would take on a project, do the work, deliver the project, and move on, he said. Chris did the same thing, but before he moved on, he would teach about everything he learned doing, while doing that project. When he could, he shared samples, he wrote tutorials about the code he wrote, and any specific methods he went through. He did this with every project. The difference was that all along the way, Chris was teaching everything he knew and I wasn't. And that's actually a great point. I kind of start to reflect on myself and I did the exact, the exact same thing. Like throughout my career, I would just do the project, uh, deliver it and just move on. But here the author makes a great point that you shouldn't just move on, you should uh, kind of teach about everything you learned do, like during that project and then move on. Uh, so since that epiphany, ConvertKit has grown to over 20 million in annual recurring revenue. Chances are, if you've learned something, there's probably a good portion of your community that would find value in learning that same thing from you. Even if you aren't the world's leading authority on the subject. And if you're regularly learning, then you'll always have regular content to contribute 
to contribute to the community. This can become a nice flywheel over time, as teaching often becomes the best way to drive your own curiosity and inspiration to learn more yourself. And when you learn publicly, your students will have questions that force you to learn even more stuff to, to teach them. You don't have to teach everything you learn. In fact, a no narrower core focus can be better. If you're learning every day, which you probably are, you'll have something to share every day. Meanwhile, you'll build your skills and experience, learn to speak the language and grow your community. All essential ingredients when you eventually have a product you are ready to sell. Unfortunately, as you probably already know, there are no shortcuts. As you think about what you're creating now and how that might lead to a business in the future, look to the communities you've already, you're already part of. You've invested time and energy there, so perhaps you already have an idea of how to proceed. If you don't, keep going and continue using your time to get strong, to learn how to paint, to learn how to code, to learn how to write, or to learn whatever else you are into. Teaching what you're learning along the way. When you are proficient enough to monetize what you know, now or in the future, you've, if you've put in the time, you will be part of a sizable community that will eventually be your first group of prospective customers. This is an important factor in keeping you honest about quality of your work uh, that you are able to produce. Your community should serve as proof that you're improving, producing and helping others. These people could spend their attention on a gazillion things and they've chosen you. And also, another point, uh, like moving on from the main point, right, so that you need to teach and then when you're good enough, you'll be able to monetize what you're doing and like your community is going to be like your first prospective customer, so it's all good. But also it's important to note that overnight success is a miss and it took the author a long time until writing this book to realize how important communities were to his career. From the outside, it all seems so straightforward, but it took time not only to become part of the community, but also to choose the community I wanted to serve and decide on the problem I wanted to solve. There's really no such thing as overnight success. Most are years in the making, just like my ability to build Gumroad over a weekend was also many years in the works. When I was getting started with web design, parents and teachers were my first clients. Over time, I found like-minded web designers on web forums like Talk Freelance, self-described as forum for web designers and freelance developers interested in website design, programming, search engine optimization, and more. Later, I found Hacker News, a site where most of Silicon Valley congregated online. At first, I was a lur lurker, then a commenter, and then an active contributor. And because my Twitter account was in my profile, as well as in my email signature, I started to collect a small following of people who signaled their interest in following me. Communities were essential for my personal development and career growth. They were where 
They were where I made friends and formed business relationships. To this day, I'm still meeting people who remember my name or handle from those years. I never had an, ag an agenda. I just knew I wanted to be part of Hacker News. Yeah, so this is an important po point. The overnight success is a myth. Now let's move to, to another kind of topic. And this topic is picking the right community. Once you're a part of a community, you can start to make a list of difficulties its members face. And you can think about how you could build a product or service to solve one or more of them. Every community has a unique set of problems that's calling out for a custom-built solution. You're probably part of a, of a number of communities, but when it comes to making an, in, an impact in a community in a way that leads to minimalist business, you should focus on a community where you can first create long-term value, second, build relationships for decades to come, third, carve out a unique, authentic voice for yourself. For the minimalist entrepreneur trying to make an impact, communities is a way to stay focused. Instead of changing the world, you can change your community's world. It's not enough to pick any community. You also have to consider your own interests. There are many communities that you may be par a part of, but that doesn't mean you want to dedicate a significant portion your working hours to solve their problems. Unless some element of the community and its problems overlap with something you're passionate about, it is unlikely you would be happy operating a business within that space. Contempt for your customers is not optimal. There are two more, there are two more important attributes that will decide which is the ideal community to focus on, how large the community is and how much money they're willing to spend. Set differently the total addressable market, or TAM. The goal here is not to find the largest community with the most dollars to spend in, in order to capture 1% of it. Instead, you should find something right in the middle. Too small and you won't be able to build a sustainable business. Too large and it will cost too much money to get to sustainability in the first place and you will attract or create competitors along the way, leading to a race to the bottom in product pricing that you may not survive. The best way is to be the only, and the best way to be the only is to pick a group that is Goldilocks size, has problems they would pay money to solve, and is underserved, likely because it is too small for larger competitors to go after. Tope Awatona, founder of Calendly, started three very different companies for three completely different communities before eventually building the scheduling software business in 2013. In 2020, Calendly posted nearly 70 million in annual recurring revenue, more than double its 2019 figure. But Awatona's first company was a dating app that never really got off the ground. The second was projectsport.com, which sold projectors. Ah, projectorsport.com, which sold projectors, but sales were poor and margins small. He tried again with a third startup, selling grills. But as he says, 
I didn't know anything about grills and I didn't want to. I lived in an apartment and never even grilled. Not only was he not part of the grilling community, but he didn't even want to be. He took a different approach to building Calendly. He had been a sales rep earlier in his career, and he knew the hustle of sending multiple emails to schedule meetings. He had even run into the scheduling problem while trying to sell his own products as an entrepreneur. At this time, as, as time went on and his other ideas failed to gain traction, he saw a gap in the marketplace and resolved to address it for the community of sales reps he cared about and understood. He says that the journey to creating something that's impactful, something that serves people, something that you know people are willing to open up their wallets and pay for, is not something that you, you can do just for money. While lots of people have scheduling fatigue, Avatona focused on problems specific to sales reps, which helped him define a problem he could, he could both solve and monetize. I think this example is perfect to kind of um, get the point across that you should you your market needs to be big enough, but at the same time. Uh, you need to be passionate about what you do and the community and care about the people so that you can do it like sustainably for a long time. Yeah, that's actually a great example. So what does that mean for you? First, get involved in those communities wherever they are, offline and online. Then contribute, teach, and most important, listen. Finally, Use the filters above to make sure you're picking the right community to serve. Then your problem becomes, which problem should I pick? And now let's talk about picking the right problem to solve. Minimalist entrepreneurs don't have millions of dollars, nor do they, have, do they want to manufacture problems for people. Instead, we believe that people already have enough problems and that our role is to help them get rid of one. That is why it is so key to start with community. If you try to make something for everyone, you will likely end up making something that no one really wants or needs. Once you know the group of people you want to help, you will start to see their problems much more readily. There are more problems than businesses. You just have to find them. Still struggling? Grab a pen and paper. On the left, write down the person slash community you would like to help. In the center, write down how they spend their time. Let's say buying onions, making icons of pencils on Friday night, or painting. So on the right, write down the problems with each activity. It might look like the figure on page 46. You want to start a business to solve a problem, but you don't have any problems to solve. If you're struggling here, which many do, some economics one-on-one -on -one may help. There are only four different types of utility. Place utility, form utility, time utility, and possession utility. What can you make easier to understand, faster to get, cheaper to buy, or more accessible to others? Ask yourself this question. Place utility. Make some, something inaccessible accessible form utility make something more valuable by rearranging the existing parts time utility 
make something slow to go fast. Possession utility, remove a middleman. You are not trying to create problems for people in order to solve them. You are trying to discover inefficiencies in the lives of people you care about so you can help them. This may sound abstract, so let's put the, the four types of utility in context. So A. A business that for farms coffee beans in Ecuador and sells them in San Francisco is changing the place property of the beans. Place utility is what you are paying the premium for. If a coffee shop buys the beans from a wholesaler and grinds them up, their customers are paying a premium for form utility. They are also in theory paying a premium for place utility if the coffee shop is closer to the to that the distribution to them than the distributor is. So if they also sell croissants that would take your three days to make, you're also paying a premium for time utility. Finally, if you decide it's better for you to invest in a croissant making machine to make your own croissants than to pay for them over and over again, that's possession utility. So yeah, I think this kind of chapter also made a lot of sense like we kind of revisited econo economics one-on-one -on -one, and maybe you should go back and kind of understand place utility form utility and so on better uh maybe google how it all works because i think this is a perfect when you're struggling you just kind of find a way to like find the problems that people might have so and also Let's move on to solving your own problem. Basecamp had their own version of this moment when they were struggling to find the right tool to manage products with their clients. As founder Jason Fried says, we went looking for a tool to do this, but we found we were ancient what we found were ancient relics. To us, project management was all about communication. None of the software makers at the time seemed to agree, so we decided to make our own. When they launched, they were already an essential part of the online product management and web design community. With a well-read blog and dozens of clients, how did this help them? In Jason's words, we decided early on that if we were able to generate around $5,000 a month, after a year, or about $60,000 in annual revenue, we'd have a good thing going. Turns out, we hit that number in about six weeks. So we were abs so we absolutely were on onto something. When they had something ready to show their community, it turned out that many members had encountered the same roadblock. If you have a problem, other pr people probably do too. All of these businesses and many, many more hark back to community as a starting point. After all, if the problem you are solving for, the, for other people is also one you are solving for yourself, you will be able to kill a lot of birds with one stone. And if you build a product to solve your own problem, you will have at least one user, more than most startups ever get. Plus, you can talk to that user every single second of the day. That's a great point. Now, let's talk about building the right solution. 
So most businesses do not work even if they are solving a real problem. This is often because while they are building something people want, they are not building it in the right way with the right minimalist mindset. So what kind of business can you build without a dollar of venture capital, appropriate to your skills and resources, in line with your mission and viable in the marketplace? It is also important to ask if your business achieves its potential. What kind of positive impact might it make on the world? That's not the lure of an IPO. Should be the guiding light for the founders of a company and all of its employees. These are the criteria I use. First, you need to ask yourself, will I love it? Building a business is hard and time-consuming. It will take years, and the more successful it is, the longer you will work on it. So it's important to find something you want to work on, for people you want to work for. To build a successful business, you need to build something people love. To stick with it, you need to build something you love working on. Second question you need to ask, will it be inherently monetizable? There should be a clear path to charging people money for something of value in a way that feels obvious. If it makes sense, it'll make sense. Third one, you need to ask, does it have an internal growth mechanism. This is true of a lot of minimalist businesses, especially because you're, you're going to build a great product people want to, to tell others about and that they may eventually want to use themselves. So the third, fourth questions, question, do I have the right natural skill sets to build this business? For example, if the business requires a lot of business development or sales calls to get off the ground and you are deathly scared of speaking to anyone, then it's probably not a good fit for you. There are a lot of businesses waiting to be built. Pick the one right for you. Pick the right one for you. No one book, no one book contains everything you'll need to know for starting any kind of business. The important thing is that the thought process you bring to figuring things out for yourself. You need the right mindset and to know what questions to ask yourself. It begins and ends by thinking of your business as a tool to solve a customer's problems, not as a lottery ticket. Surround yourself with colleagues and mentors who will not only tell you the truth, but will also encourage you when the going gets tough. After all, people need cheerleaders, not just advice. Inspiring founders and leaders are not born, they are made. Almost anyone can do it with enough patience, guidance, and sincerity. So let's talk about key takeaways. The first one, it's the community that leads you to the problem, which leads you to the product, which leads you to your business. Second key takeaway, once you've found community you fit, start contrib contributing with the intention of becoming a pillar in that community. The third key takeaway, pick the right problem, uh, and it's probably the one you have, and confirm that others have it. Then confirm you have business you fit too. When in doubt, always go back to the community. They will help you keep going and ultimately succeed. 
That's all for today's episode of the 5S Growth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. For show notes and more, visit our website at 5xgrowth.com. Until next time, stay focused and keep growing.